This is a new year, and something we've started here about five years ago is sharing a benediction at the end of our service. And so most of the time we do that. Sometimes we pray or we dismiss in other ways. Um, and this isn't the way, it's just a way. And one reason we do this is to try to memorize some scripture. And so we can hang on to this as we walk throughout our week. Uh, so I would encourage you to, to memorize this one we're going to go through here today as well. And, but before we get that, I'm going to give you a little test. All right, so in, you guys ready? You know, our students this week were kind of like this. So were their teachers, all right? Uh, just Christmas break has a way of kind of zapping it out of you. You know, you snuggle in and all that kind of stuff, and it just, you get out of your routine and all that. So they're, oh, no. All right, so here's your test. 2013, we had a, a, a benediction that we closed with, and we did this for 2013 and 2014. And by the way, the whole reason that started, just for me personally, I was at a service and I heard this pastor pronounce scripture benediction and his church family pronounced it together and it was so rich and so warm. It was just, it was, it was uniting. It wasn't just reading words on a wall. They had memorized it and they owned it in their heart and they would look at each other and they would say this like, this is what I pray for you this week and this is what I want this week. And I thought, man, that's good. Like, what a great way to send people out as you leave the church. So, Number 6, 24, 25, and 26. You remember that one? Uh, if not, here, we'll help you out a little bit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and may he give you peace. You remember that one? Right, so as soon as you saw it on the wall, I could hear you guys starting to say it again. Like, oh, that's right, I remember that. And you may have memorized that long before we did that in 2013 and 14. Uh, but that's a good blessing to share with somebody who's struggling. That's a good reminder for us that the Lord is with us. God, cause your face to shine upon me. I'm distressed right now. Bring your peace. All right? Uh, just turn to me. Hey, let me know that you're there. That's a good reminder. So that was 2013 and 2014. 2015, we went into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. This great doxology says, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us that which is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember that one? All right, that's a great one. Uh, Pastor Rob Morgan when we were in college and got married and lived in Nashville there for a while, as he would walk out of the service, that's kind of how he closed. And so they had a time of response. He and his wife would walk out arm in arm, and as he's walking out, he's pronouncing this benediction. The church was with him. Uh, just kind of, it was a high to leave out on. So that was Hebrews 13. Uh, in 2016, it was, anybody know? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. It's back there on the wall by our connect corner. Right now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a good one too, right? Remember that? And we read just prior to that this morning. Okay. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 and 19 where Paul says, and this is what I pray for you, that you would be able to grasp the depth, the breadth, the height, all right, the width of the love of God and to know this God and his love which passes all understanding. 
And so now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's a good one. Ephesians 3. And then what about last year? One Sunday ago. <laughs> Jude. Remember this one? So right at the end of Jude, this is a half-brother of Christ. And right at the end of that, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Right? So another good doxology there. So listen, it'd be good for you and be good for me as well uh, just to make a note of these, maybe to write them down. I was reminded this week to just put some sticky notes Beside your bed, put it on the mirror where you brush your teeth or do your makeup, all right? S sit something beside your door so when you walk out, the last thing you see before you get in your car, maybe it's just a reminder of a promise of God or it's just a scripture reference and you look at it like, that's, that's right. That's what I want to be reminded of as I live my day. And so these would be some good doxologies to hang on to. For this year, we're going to challenge you, all right? We're going to go a little further. So most of these have been two verses this one's four, okay? They're short, and you probably know this one maybe better than some of those others. There's also a song that goes with this, so we might learn it, um, and it's just the scripture put to song. And for whatever reason, songs have a way of sticking the word with us, right? And it's good, isn't it? Like when something triggers your mind and you remember a song and it points you to a promise or a truth or a doctrine of God, right? It's not just empty words, doesn't just give you that happy feeling, but there's some substance there. Uh, so there's a song that goes along with this one as well. But Romans chapter 11, right? When you get to the end of Romans, you'll find Paul writing these four verses. Right? Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. How unknowable his ways. Let's just put it up here. Let me read it together with you. Then, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. All right. You've heard this before? See? All right. That's for our Hispanic brothers and sisters in the back. That's yes in Spanish, right? All right, so we're going to spend the next four weeks kind of making our way through these four verses. So today will be 33, next week will be 34, on and on. Um, just spend a little bit more time rather than trying to take uh, one message and try to just cover the surface on, on each of these. So Romans 11, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. You might want to keep that open as we'll keep referencing here today um, verse 33. Um, especially dealing with the depth and the riches and the unsearchableness of, of our great God. And so the title of this message today is The, uh, the Incomparable God. Right? There's nothing on the planet like him. There's nothing in the heavens like him. There's nothing else like him. And that's kind of what this text declares. And so we'll see that as we make our way through uh, these next four weeks. All right? So as we said... The author of this text is Paul, and some call this kind of the grand crescendo of the book of Romans. So if you are someone who likes movies or you like music, 
You know when a song kind of starts out soft? Maybe there's some strings in the background or a real light piano. And the, the, mel- or the words are just maybe kind of dainty and they float softly. They're beginning to tell a story. And then as the story progresses, this song begins to come to a climax. And so there's more instruments that's added. And it's just growing and growing and growing and growing. And then it reaches that pinnacle, that climax, that grand crescendo when it wants to just sing and really just resonate or shake our hearts. That's this text right here. And if you've ever taken time to study Romans 1 through Romans 11, by the time you get to verse 33, at least for me, there was a couple things I'm thinking. One is, thank you, God. Right? You've helped me understand some things, and you've helped me also understand that I can't understand everything. But then it also just like, there's a joy, there's an exuberance as you understand how these texts, these doctrines apply specifically to you and I. And so that's what's going on here in the heart of Paul. This text is resounding in his heart, and it is resounding off his pen. And I pray that it will resound into our hearts today as we work our way through. So the incomparable God is what we'll look at here today from Romans chapter 11. So a few things we'll highlight if you'd like to follow along. Uh, Write some of that on your bulletin, you can. Again, that's totally your call. But looking here today, specifically in verse 33, what it means uh, that God is unparalleled. There's no one like him. Uh, There's nothing like him. So initially here, We're going to say this, the incomparable God is going to bring delight, and it's a depth, all right? There's deep delight to those who know him. The incomparable God, for those who know him, is going to bring a deep delight. So as this doxology starts, there's a little word here that sets this whole thing off. What's the beginning of verse 33 say? What was the first word? Oh, right? Oh. And it it sets the stage... For these four verses. So don't ever just skip over the little words. Right? Little words a lot of times carry big significance. You know, a little word like all carries a big weight. It's only three letters, but it means a ton. All right? And the same thing here. This little word O, O-H, is carrying a, a massive weight. Now, this is not the O of like terror or O of frustration. Okay? Um, like when you're driving down the road and you see blue and red lights in your rearview mirror, what do you say? Oh, right? What did I do? And you're already working on your spiel and you're trying to get your heart right. Oh, I don't want to be rude here and, you know, how do I get out of this? Maybe you don't think that way, but I do. Uh, or if you're in a hurry, you know, in Granite City, there's lots of uh, train tracks, Right? And you really can't go any direction. Well, thanks to the viaduct now, I guess you can go maybe one direction. But most places you can't go without having to face a train periodically. And I hit one every day. And it just like shifts on me uh, right around noon. And so sometimes it's 11.57 or 12.03. And so I've tried to gauge it so I miss it. And more often than not, I hit it. And so you know how frustrating that is? When you're trying to get somewhere and you can see that thing coming, right, now, you guys probably speed up. I don't do that, right? I stay speed limit, right? 55 and a 30, and I'm trying to cross the train tracks. And you see those lights start to flash, and them arms start to come down. What do you say? 
Oh. That's not the oh here. Paul is not just like, oh, like, God, this is too deep for me. Like, why couldn't you make this more understandable? Now, this is exuberance. Like, Paul's heart is just exploding. You know, if you take a two liter of Coke and you shake it up and you throw it up in the air and it hits concrete, what's it going to do? That's right. I should have brought one. We could have done that this morning, right? No? Okay. Uh, have you seen that commercial, though, where the guy, he's sitting in his car. I can't remember what it is. And he's, the Coke, I guess, is really shook up. And he opens it, just sprays all over him and the windshield. And he just loves it, right? Uh, it's, it's trying to make a point about how most people don't love when those kinds of things happen. Well, the picture I'm trying to paint is when that thing just explodes, the pressure within that thing just causes it to explode. Right, what's building and building and building within just causes this thing just to burst forth. Well, that's what's going on here with Paul. Right, as Paul is writing about some of these wonderful doctrines, as he's writing to these early Christians, his own heart is being rejoiced. And so when he gets to the end, he's just like, oh. But he's somebody like the psalmist in Psalm 34 who said, Oh, taste and see that what? That the Lord is good. Right? That's not somebody who's recommending something they've never tried. That's someone who says, I've tried and tasted and he's good. And now you t- oh, taste and see. And so Paul says, oh, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And so there is a great delight. When's the last time your heart was just like bursting? Your soul was just bursting. Like your mind was just caught up in the wonder of who God is, and in the wonder that he loves you. How long has that been? And part of our Bible reading today said something to that effect, like the point being made was, I just, you'll never get over it. If you know the depth of it, you'll never get over it. I remember Uncle Ron saying of Grandma, his mother, one thing she never got over was the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ loved her. And that never failed just to rejoice her heart. I mean, how long has it been since you've sat with the Word of God or you've sat in a time of prayer and you've just been overjoyed? Would anybody say it's been a while? Any takers? Has it been recent? Right? And so this is, this is why today we just want to drive all of us to the Scriptures. That's why we put papers back there on the back table Right? And they're not better than others. The point of any of those is, hey, get in the Word of God so the Word of God can get in you. And what happens when that starts going on? He will delight your heart. He will rejoice your soul so that what comes out of you is just like a two liter of Coke that's been shook. It's exuberant praise. It's great delight and great joy. Verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. Now, lots of people divide Romans lots of different ways. Uh, you know, I've, I've read of some pastors who've spent like five and six years on a Sunday morning going through the book of Romans. Uh, and lots of Bible studies that way. And you can divide it up in all sorts of ways. But some, uh, the most consistent way is you've got verse, or chapters 1 through 11 where you're declaring the truths and greatness of who God is, of his mercy, 
And then chapters 12 through 16, what you find there is then how do we respond? What's our response in view of God's mercy? Right? You remember Romans 12:1? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. That is, therefore, in light of the previous 11 chapters, here's your response. And so those first 11 chapters are rich. They're dense. Uh, there's many great doctrines there. And some of the things that Paul shares here that motivates that word oh are some things like this. He starts to write about the faithfulness of God. When you consider God being faithful, does that stir you in any way? People in your life that you know are away from the Lord, but God desires to draw them to himself. And I'm praying for them, and you're praying for them, and you know God's faithful, and he's going to work and draw their heart. He's going to put somebody in their path who can share truth with them or love them, who maybe can speak clearly to them, and they'll return to the Lord, or they'll come to Christ. Like, we love the faithfulness of God. We love that he never changes. And so Paul writes about the faithfulness of God. That's one of the things that fueled the O. He talks about right standing with God. So we're sinners, and he talks about that as well, right? The good news of the gospel is that there's a Savior. The bad news is we've messed it up, and we've separated ourselves. The good news is that God sent his Son to be a Savior to give us peace or to give us a right relationship with God. And so that's one of the things that he considers as he gets into verse 33 and he writes about, oh, the depths of the riches. He also writes about how peace and hope and life can be found in Jesus Christ. And those are tangible. Those are real. Those aren't just concepts. It's not trickery. It's not manipulation. It's not think differently. All right? There is the transforming of our mind, but when that is true, there's real peace. You guys have peace? You have hope. Not like, you know, I, I hope our president does better this year than he did last year. Who's that dependent on? A lot of that's dependent on, on a man, right? Or a bunch of men and women. Our hope is not seated there. Our hope that's for the Christian is seated in Christ. And Hebrew says it's an anchor for my soul. Right? So it's, it's that constancy that in the midst of the struggle or the frustration or the worry, it's just steady. It's, it's the bedrock that holds me in place. It's my anchor. And so he writes about the peace and hope and life that come through faith in Christ. He talks about being released from sin and no longer somebody who's bound to the law. And man, that's a good word. Right? If Jesus doesn't come, the only remedy is save yourself. Can we do that? No, he says, you can go ahead and try. Bind yourself to the law. Do everything you possibly can, but you're always going to fall short. And if Jesus doesn't come, we're consistently short. We consistently stay condemned. And he also wrote and said, for those who have faith in Christ, they are no longer, they're no longer condemned. Right? Now, therefore, there's no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so that rejoices his heart there in Romans chapter 8. He talks about the indwelling of God's Spirit. He talks about the conquering Christ and how those who know him conquer as well. So one of the ways you and I could define ourselves is not just conquerors, but we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And so, man, wouldn't you just like to have been there as the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is in Paul and he's writing this stuff down? I just wonder if he had to get up and walk away for a minute and just do a little happy dance. Well, we were talking about that this morning. Uh, can God be delighted in just a happy dance? Like if he's rejoiced our heart and we're just thankful and we're excited, yeah. Because he looks at our heart, right? Now, we can do all sorts of stuff that's religious in nature and God not be pleased whatsoever, but things that are compelled in our heart that may cause some expression, uh, man just puts a smile on God's face. And so I just, so this happens to me as I study sometimes. So I'm sitting and I'm reading and I'm soaking in something. I'm like, man, that is good. So I need to go think on that. I need to go talk that out loud. And so I walk the halls of this church and I walk circles back in the hall back there and I walk through here and praying and singing. It's just, man, it's good. It's good. And so as Paul dwells on these things, writes, he gets to Romans 11 verse 33. Before he's going to say, this is your response, be transformed. He says our initial response is, oh, we should be caught up, kept by, delighted in, enraptured by the depth of God. Now there was a video this past summer, you may have seen it, that, that uh, had a lot of views, went viral, of a guy who dove with one breath in the deepest man-made pool. Did you guys see that video? Pretty cool pool. I mean, it's not just like a rectangle. It's got all these different tiers and layers and shelves. And he hits one shelf and the camera stays there and you think, oh, he's at the bottom. And the camera pans down. And then he just dives down to the next shelf. And it's so smooth. He looks so at peace. And they zoom in on his face. And sometimes he just is smiling or he's so relaxed. And then at the bottom, well, probably the last maybe, I don't know, 75 feet of this thing, it's a big cylinder. Maybe it's, I don't know, 15 feet in diameter. And he's standing on the edge of that. Uh, and he just kind of, like he's preparing himself. Am I going to do this or not? And just in the water, he jumps and it's real slow in nature. And puts his arms by his side and his feet together and just... And the camera follows him all the way down. Deep pool, 131 feet deep. Right? One breath. Any takers? Now, it kind of terrifies me actually to watch that video. Uh, what if he hiccups? You know, that's what I'm thinking. What if I hiccup or, you know, pass out? Uh, and the video ends with him, his feet hitting the bottom of that, and just real slow he looks up. 131 feet below water. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but pretty impressive. You know, that depth, that's deep. But that depth is doable, right? That depth has boundaries. So you can descend, but you're going to hit a bottom point, a stopping point, and you can't go any further. Now, you and I would probably hit that in death. You know, he hits it with, with one breath. But the point of that is this. God's well has no bottom. And so the deeper that we can drink from that well, the deeper we can descend into the depths 
of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, we'll never get to a point where we hit the bottom and go, I've arrived. You know, I know as much as I possibly can about God. I have explored every recess of who God is. We'll never, never, not even in all eternity, be able to reach the end of God. There's no bottom to that well, right? So you can keep drinking, and he'll keep supplying. We can keep going deeper, challenging ourselves. Read this. I don't get it, all right? Read it again. I still don't get it, okay? Read it again, and then ask somebody, what's this mean? Well, maybe I don't get it either. And so we pray about it, and we ask other people, and we study, and we look at what other people have said about it. We challenge ourselves just to go deeper and deeper and deeper. This is one of the things I pray every day, that God would increase my knowledge of him, and that in so doing, he would grant me wisdom to live a life that's pleasing to him. Take me deeper, right? The song says, take me deeper uh, than my fear will let me wander. And so, oh, the depths here. Be willing to dive deep. Because you'll never hit bottom. You know, as we think about the truths of God, one of the words we've been throwing around here in our family for this year is the word ponder or the word linger. As we soak in just the truths of God in a hurried life, what happens is there is a delight that comes to our soul. Now, yesterday, my devotion was rich, man. It was short, but... Let us draw near to Christ. Let us draw near to God. And what I took from that was God has given me the opportunity to draw near. His desire is not that we stay at a distance. It's just keep on coming. And that's not proximity. It's not close like this. Right? It's close within. It's a close awareness and knowledge of him. It's, a, it's just a, it's an intimacy that he welcomes us into the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. All right. Secondly, here this morning, don't panic. That was the main point of today. The incomparable God, not only is he going to delight your heart as you ponder, linger, and meditate in his truth, but the incomparable God is rich. And he's rich, what Paul writes, in wisdom and knowledge. So that word deep, previously, deep delight, what that means is what it implies is that it's, it's something that you can never reach the bottom of. It's a depth that you can never reach the bottom of. And so here it's, it's saying the same thing. This is talking about a wealth that never ends. So the implication here, saying he's rich, he's implying is that there's never-ending wealth. Now, when we say somebody is wealthy, what are we saying? You know, somebody we know who's wealthy, maybe they walk in the room and we lean over and we say, man, they're really wealthy. What are we saying? We're saying they got a lot of money, right? And they have a lot, because of that, they have a lot of stuff. Okay? What Paul's writing here, he's talking about a never-ending wealth, a never-ending richness, but it has nothing to do with anything financial. It has everything to do with wisdom and knowledge. You know, as Paul wrote as well and said, let the word of God dwell in you richly. As, God were, as his word dwells in you richly, you know what you and I become? Rich. We become wealthy. And that is an incomparable wealth. So you can have a lot of money, right? Nothing wrong with having money. But that doesn't mean that we have a closeness with God. 
It doesn't mean we're rich in wisdom and knowledge. And so here Paul accentuates that the wealth that is an O is that which comes from wisdom and the knowledge of God. And so here again he says, Oh, the depth. You'll never hit bottom. Of the riches, it's never ending. Right? You remember the text that Paul wrote also, which says, And now may my God supply all your needs according to his, what? Glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How many of your needs is he going to meet? All. For how many people? For all people who've ever lived. Right? You and I could probably go to a restaurant somewhere today. Take a group of us. And we might could get close to running our wealth out. You know, a real fancy restaurant. You know, where it's three or four hundred dollars a person. Dinner and a show. That's where you guys usually eat on Friday nights, right? <laughs> no. But there are restaurants like that. You know, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things that just kind of makes me uh, go, huh. Yeah, that must be some really good, uh, good steak or whatever. We could... Uh, we could run out our wealth. You'll never get to a point where you've run out the riches of God. Okay? And his riches, again, are knowledge and wisdom. And so Paul writes here and tells us there's no end to what God knows. And if that's the case and his spirit is in us, then there's, there's not a, a limit that you and I can reach where we say, I know enough. All right? Or I'm tapped out or I'm maxed out. No, you're not. When we quit breathing, then maybe we have a case to make. But until then, we can keep growing and we can keep knowing. So there's no end to what God knows. And that's one of those things that amazes me. You ever just caught up in a thought that you can't really put your head around? And the fact that God knows everything is just one of those things that the more I think about it, I just... It's one like, I don't understand how you can know everything. He knows every thought of every person on the planet right now. You know, these students that play basketball after games, what do they want to know? What are my stats? God could give us every statistic about our life. How many breaths you've taken? How many times I've blinked? Right? How many times our heart has beat multiplied by a million or whatever, 573,492? He could tell you the answer to that. Because he, he knows there's nothing that can be known that God doesn't know. Because he's the author of these things. Now I think he knows where every animal is on the planet, every insect. And he could locate them. And we've got ants around here sometimes. We don't like them, but God could tell us where they all are. Then the Bible say that he knows every grain of sand? I think he's just bragging when he gets to that point. How about you, right? Seriously? You know how much grain, how many grains of sand there are on the planet? Yeah. All he's saying is there's nothing to be known that I don't know. And so he's rich in knowledge. Right? I don't even know myself very well. And God knows everyone who's ever existed. Everything that's ever been knowable will be knowable. He knows it. He's rich in knowledge. And he's also rich here in wisdom. Wisdom is often defined as applied knowledge, which is to say whatever God determines to do and whatever is something necessary to be done, God knows the best way to do it. And there's no shortcutting around that. All right? You and I might come up with alternate plans, 
But God can look at it immediately and go, nope, that's not it. Uh, he knows how to apply the knowledge best in our life. So this shouldn't just amaze us, but this should be one of those things that drives us to him to say, okay, increase my knowledge, but also increase my wisdom because I want to take right steps. I want to do things in a way that's pleasing and honoring to you. Uh, and so grant me the wisdom to do so. So if he knows all, I can look to him for knowledge. If he knows the best step for me to take, I can look to him to help me understand that best step. All right, he's incomparable. He's incomparable. <laughs> Just me or you guys hear that big B in here? <laughs> uh, all right, well then three here. The incomparable God, he's going to work in some ways that are beyond our understanding. And People often say, you know, the ways of God are a mystery. Things that he does, sometimes we just don't understand. And the truth is because we don't see things from an all-knowing perspective. And we probably wouldn't like that if we could see things from that perspective. Um, but full knowledge of God... And knowing that God's going to work in such a way should be something that causes us to live with expectation. So who would have ever come up with a virgin-born child? Anybody? We would have never, we would have never come up with that. Right? But that was in the mind of God. He came up with the idea of a child who would be born of a virgin. What about an eternal kingdom rather than an earthly kingdom? Right? What were all the people looking for when the Messiah came? We're going to set up our kingdom. We're going to rule here now. Nobody was thinking. Nobody was thinking eternal. Jesus died on the cross. And it's like it's done. Like all of our hopes are dashed. All of our, our dreams are in the tomb with him. And yet in the mind of God, his ways are not our ways. The end result here is that He's teaching us to live with an expectation. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. So God's ways are beyond our understanding. But that's not to say that we cannot understand some things. And so here's a few things he tells us here and then we'll close. One thing he tells us is this. When we pray, we need to expect what? Expect an answer. Number one, expect that he hears you. But then number two, expect an answer. And not because we have a, a footing to demand something from God, but because he said so. So when we pray, expect. And I don't know how he's going to answer. That may be a mystery to me. Okay, how unsearchable are his judgments or his past beyond tracing out. But I can expect that he hears and that we will or that he will answer. What about when we trust him? And when we entrust our lives to him, can we trust that he'll take care of us? Absolutely, right? We talked about him being faithful and he never changes. He's the God who's overall. So though we may not understand how you're taking care of me, this is hard. Losing job, hard. Somebody close to you dying, hard. Somebody turning their back on you, hard. Right? Betrayal, hard. Disabilities, hard. You know, dreams dashed, hard. And we go, God? Really? And when we trust him, we can know and we can expect that what we've entrusted to him, he will take care of. He will come through even though that may be difficult. And when we submit, his word promises that he will lead. Right? When we're about his business, he says, I'm with you always. This is my mission. Go make disciples. And by the way, wherever you go, I'm with you. Until you die, 
And even then, I'm with you. So though I don't always understand the ways of God, what this text tells me is, is that I can trust his ways. I don't have to know them, but I can trust them. So the depths of God, right? They're unreachable. And we said it's the well that never runs dry. It's the pool that doesn't have a bottom, which is hard to understand. And yet the call is just to keep going deeper and deeper. Keep drinking of that well. Don't swim in the shallows all your life. Let's go a little deeper. The author of Hebrews said, it's good that you're drinking milk. Now let's add a little meat to that diet. Let's take in some deeper truths. Let's challenge what we already know. Let's work to understand and know God better. We're called to go deeper, to draw near. And his word says, when you do that, you'll find delight. And it will be a delight that overflows kind of like that two liter. The wisdom and knowledge of God are inexhaustible. And so you'll never get to a point where you stump God. All right? You'll never get to a point where God won't lead you or he won't lead me in something. He grants us wisdom as we're seeking him and patiently waiting. And so scripture calls us, seek the Lord more and more, grow in him. And the ways in which God works are unsearchable, and yet we're called here again to trust his ways because he's the incomparable God. So the call today is not learn from me, right? The call today is not trust me, and it's not for me to learn from you or trust you. It's for us to learn from God. It's to trust God. It's to grow in God. Right? It's to meditate or to linger or to spend time with God. And so what I just simply wonder today as we close is this. Are we doing that? And think about what delights your heart. What excites you the most? Like, is that answer God? I mean, is it just right off, to the, right off your lips? What's your greatest delight? Oh, God, my relationship with him. Or do we start looking at our blessings and cherish the blessing and kind of set the giver of that blessing aside? And Paul's reminded us the great delight come from the depth of the riches of God. Listen, if you're not diving deep or at least trying, I want to encourage you to do so. Take the challenge. Get to know the Lord better. Draw near. His promise is as you do, he will draw near to you as well.